Welcome to Branches Church Sermon Podcast Channel. If you're in Metro Atlanta, we would love for you to join us one Sunday for worship. If you would like more information on upcoming events, service times, or to get in touch, please visit our website, branches.faith. Here's the message from this past Sunday. God bless. God. If you have your Bibles, <clears throat> I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, and uh, I'm going to preach out of Isaiah today, uh, and kind of all over Isaiah, I'm going to touch on, on a lot of places in Isaiah, um, and uh, I just, I've got a little thought I just want to share with you this morning, and uh, the title of my sermon is Muted, Muted. Ignoring the most important call, ignoring the most important call, and uh, you can be seated if you're going to help me preach this morning. Hey, that's 100% participation. <laughs> How many of you uh, enjoy these little devices, phones? They're, uh, they're very beneficial, aren't they? I know we have a love-hate relationship with them. They're convenient. There's so much convenience right here in this little thing. Uh, but it also means that anybody can get a hold of you anytime they really want to. And, uh, you know, I've made a habit where if I do not recognize the phone number, and some of you may do this also, I immediately hit that mute button. And I just, if it's real important, they'll leave me a message and I'll get back to them. And I've even found that there's a setting on here that I can set that if I don't know the number, it's not in my contacts, it'll send them automatically to leave me a message. And there's also the ability with the service we have that if it's a call you don't want to receive anymore, you can tell them that number and uh, they'll not be calling you anymore. It won't get through to your phone, which is very handy for all of those uh, phone calls that come where they're trying to sell you an, a policy on your vehicle that you've owned for a long time and have never had uh, any kind of a coverage policy that they, you know, to fix your repairs and things like that. Your warranty, that's what I'm trying to say, a warranty. I found it very beneficial to be able to mute that. Well, I want to preach today under that title, Muted, Ignoring the Most Important Call ignoring the most important call. These phones are wonderful. They allow us to talk to people, keep up with people, and the convenience of it being right on, right in your pocket. I mean, that's, that's an amazing convenience. When I was a kid, and any people much younger than me, they won't remember this, but you didn't have cell phones, at least not in my family. We couldn't afford, I remember my dad's first cell phone it was a bag phone. Yes, that's right. They sold phones that went in bags, and you carried them with you. And uh, I thought I was hot stuff whenever I got to drive Dad's car, and it had the bag phone in it. And I would drive around with that phone with the cord hanging down, acting like I was talking to people, even though my dad would kill me because it probably cost about $10 a minute to make a phone call on it if I called anyone. But I wanted to look hot. You know, when you're 16, you think that that's what matters in life, uh, to look like you've got it going on. 16-year-old kid in a Lincoln Town car with the 
with the bag foam. So there's a lot of benefits to, to these things. At the same time, they offer a lot of distraction to us. And can, I found it increasingly can get in the way of things. Uh, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity that we have now with phones to mute, to do not disturb, to turn off access from people. But there are some phone calls that you don't want to miss, that you don't want to miss. Now, if something happens, my family, I want to receive that phone call. I want that call to come through. If something happens with someone here in our church, I want to receive that phone call. I want that phone call to come through. I recently read the story of a, of a guy who's a hiker, and he went up to hike in the mountains of Colorado. Now, I will admit I do not know a lot about hiking, uh, but my understanding is there are a lot of dangers if you're a person who hikes. Do we have any hikers in here? No, all of us are pretty comfortable on the pavement, right? Yeah, keep me on the pavement. My experience is anytime I get off the pavement, I twist an ankle. Uh, but there are a lot of dangers, apparently, with hiking. And I mean, some of those things in the wilderness you think about, there are some, some dangers that they just stand out. That Yeah, that seems like common sense. That would be a, a danger. Uh, we would maybe think of, you know, predators, a bear, mountain lion. <laughs> those are dangerous. I mean, not, not, no one goes out hiking hoping to have a close encounter of the carnivorous kind. Probably not high on people's, they want to see an elk or see a deer or, you know, rabbits. See a bear from a long ways away. Look, there's a bear on that mountain over there. Not there's a bear in our path. Uh, so we often think of those things, but sadly it's the things that, we overlook that pose the greatest risk to those that enjoy hiking. The number one risk for people that go outdoors is a lack of preparedness, not being prepared for what they might face. Another risk is the simple, very, very simple thing, uh, the risk of falling. Now, I would not think that would be high, the risk of falling, but apparently it's a very high risk. Just the last week, uh, one man was rescued by hikers who found him injured on the trail where he had fallen. This happened in Colorado. Uh, also last week, rescuers found a 74-year-old lady. Kudos to her, 74, going hiking in a very treacherous terrain. 74-year-old lady, she was hanging from a tree after she had fallen 30 feet down an embankment when hiking along on a trail. 30 feet fall, clinging to a tree. She's okay, by the way. Kudos to her. There was also a helicopter rescue team that rescued a 20-year-old hiker who injured his right hip after slipping on a trail. And that's just in one week just in one week. Other dangers are things like getting lost. Uh, they have rescue teams for going out and finding people. 
they're lost. Last year, an 80-year-old man got separated from his hiking partner. Kudos to him, 80 years old, going hiking. The rescue team searched for him for three days, three days. And when everyone, everyone was starting to give up hope on that fourth day, all the volunteers, they'd rounded them all up, got them together to get ready to go out searching that morning. And before they could dismiss the searchers, that missing hiker showed up to his own press conference. It turned into a joyous, tearful occasion. 80-year-old dad and grandpa had been found. Now, these are all positive outcomes to very serious situations, but there are a lot that don't come out positive like that. There, there are many, many more that do not end so happily. So if you go hiking, go prepared, go with a partner. That's not what I'm going to preach about today, but I just thought I'd tell you that in case you get in your mind, you know, it's a nice fall day. I want to go hiking after this service. This last week, what triggered this was last week I read an article about a hiker who's at Mount Elbert. It's Colorado's highest peak, uh, in case you ever want to go and check out the highest peak in Colorado. It's Mount Elbert. It gathers a lot of attention from people who enjoy the outdoors. They come from all over to hike this particular mountain every year. This onslaught of hikers descend or ascend, I guess I should say, to Mount Elbert to travel those many trails and exploration. This particular hiker came, stayed at a popular inn for hikers who are going to explore that mountain, and he logged his hike plan, which is kind of a common thing, apparently, to log your hike plan with the place you're staying. And then he set out on his journey. It was about 9 a.m. in the morning. And when it was time for him to return, they, they checked in to see if he had made it back to the lodge. He was not there. He was late. Not completely abnormal. A lot of people end up missing their return time or their stated return time that they should get back. And um, it was such the case with him. And after a couple of hours looking for him and waiting for him to walk in to that inn, to that lodge, they became a little more concerned. So checking to see if maybe he'd slipped by them and made it to his room, they knocked on the door, no answer. They decided to make a few phone calls to him, called, see if maybe he stopped somewhere else on his way back. There were no answers, no one answering the phone. Darkness began to settle in, and then it was really like, where is this guy? You know, he's supposed to be back. He said he would be back by this evening. It started to get real serious. And as the hours kind of racked up past his time of return, they then gathered a small search party of eight people to go and search for him. The search started at midnight. They searched the area that they knew he would be hiking in for three hours. The whole time that they were searching, they continued to call his phone just in case the phone would ring somewhere on that wilderness trail, they could hear it ringing to find where he was at. They didn't find him. They returned after an extensive search to wait till the next morning. Next morning at 7 a.m., they began searching again. Three more hours they searched until they were let known 
they were notified that the hiker had shown back up at the lodge. 24 hours from when he started, 9 a.m. to the next morning, 9 a.m. Asking him what, what happened, he said, you know, I, I left at 9 a.m. and I was returning and I lost the trail as it started to get dark. I continued trying to find my way back to my car till the next morning. And the next morning I was able to, to find where I was at and I finally found my car and I made my way back to the lodge. But the most amazing thing about this article that I read was that he admitted that his phone kept ringing. But because he didn't recognize the number, he kept silencing it. How amazing is that? He's lost in the wilderness. He's receiving a call from some number he doesn't recognize, but he keeps ignoring the phone call. He has the ability to reach into his pocket and pull something out to call for help, but he doesn't do it. He spent the whole night trying to find his way out of the wilderness Ignoring phone calls from rescuers. Now, before we judge him too harshly, or we laugh too hard at him, think about for a moment, that's just how some people's relationship is with God. God is continuously calling them, trying to remind them, trying to get them to return, trying to get their attention but for whatever reason, they ignore the call. They mute the voice. They silence the events. They ignore what God has allowed to happen in their life. And even though they are lost, even though they are in a wilderness, even though they need rescue and they need salvation, they ignore the call. He didn't know who was trying to get a hold of him. And that was the only reason he had and needed to mute the call. You think about spiritual things. This is really nothing new. The book of Isaiah is full of this discourse between God and his people. The theme is for them to trust God as a deliverer, that he would deliver them and see them through. Uh, but repeatedly as he calls them and urges them, to turn back and turn away and turn toward him, to return to him, they ignore that call. Judgment, he says, is coming. I'm sending judgment for the wicked. And the options are they can align themselves with God or they can face certain judgment. However, most of them never turn toward God. There are a few that turn toward God, Isaiah being one of them. But most of them just keep rejecting his call. Instead, they decide to trust in some other things. They, instead of trusting in the one true God, they turn to idolatry. Instead of trusting in God's salvation plan for them, they turn to allies that can step in and maybe defeat the enemies God is going to allow to come their way. 
God's telling them not to align themselves to these enemies, not to align with pagan nations, but to separate themselves from the rest of the world. And specifically, he's telling them, do not link yourself up with the Egyptians, the Nubians at the time. He's saying, don't get in, con uh, in a contract with Egypt, but you trust in me. I know it looks bad. I know it looks like it's not going to work out unless you have some help, but I am your help in present trouble. In present trials, in times of trouble, I will be there and I will be your help. But because they would not hear God, God allows tragedy after tragedy to come upon them. He allows trouble into their life. He eventually brings judgment in the form of captivity so that he might save a few for himself. That's exactly what he says. He says, I'm going to let you go into captivity but out of that captivity, there's going to be those that return that are going to be my people. Look at some of the things God said to them. Isaiah 2 and 5, it says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. He's saying, walk with me. Get with me. Follow me. Walk in the light that I have for you. He even goes as far in chapter 5 to ask what more he could have done. And I think about this in people's lives. And the reality is God is a great God. He is a merciful God. He is a blessing God. He is a God that is in favor of his people and he's in favor of you. But he has done everything possible to cultivate the environment in which a person would come to him and would allow God to save them and to bless them. And so in chapter 5, verse 4, he says, What more could I, what more could have done, been done to my vineyard? The vineyard we find out later in Isaiah 5 and 7 is the house of Israel. He says, What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned and break down its wall and it shall be trampled upon. He says, what more could I do in your life? What more could I do to cultivate an environment where the fruit that I want to see in your life would be produced? But instead, what it is is it's wild grapes. It's all the things that the world offers. That's what's being developed there. And so instead of keeping my hedge and my protection on you. I'm going to allow my hedge to come down. It shall be burned, it will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled upon. So what was the issue that God had with them? He had protected them. He'd given them fertile field, an atmosphere in which they could serve Him. He had blessed them even when they were not deserving had done so many things for them. But instead of following after him, instead of developing the righteous grapes, the good fruit that he wanted to see, instead they were idolatrous. They were falling into drunkenness. There's a whole chapter about drunkenness in Isaiah. They were oppressing the poor. They were proud in vain. They called evil good and they called good evil. They thought they were wise even though they were being foolish because they would not repent. 
I think about that, I think about the climate, the culture we find ourselves in. We live in a world that, that's very, very confused. We live with people that are very, very confused. You yourself may be very, very confused about what God wants for you in your life. God has cultivated for us every opportunity. There are blessings for us that we cannot even fathom that God wants to do. But his call that goes out is a call to repentance, to leave behind idolatry, leave behind a drunkenness, leave behind pride and vanity, to quit calling what is evil good and good evil, quit being wise to yourselves, but instead become foolish for the gospel's sake, become foolish for God's sake, trust in the Lord. What's interesting about the call of Isaiah, and if you study Scripture, taking a broad look at Scripture, the Israelites had become the very thing that God had judged the Canaanites for when he sent them to the promised land. He, if you go and read it, he actually says, I'm not sending you there for yourself. I'm sending you there because they need to be judged. The Canaanites were an idolatrous people. They were a people who oppressed the poor. They were proud. They were vain. They were pursuing things of the flesh and pleasures of this world. They were calling evil things good and good things evil. They were a messed up society. And he said, I'm going to judge you for it. And so he delivers Israel out of Egypt and sends them to the promised land so that they would be the judges and the hand of God that judged the people that were the Canaanites. So much so that he commanded them to have an act of genocide and to destroy every one of them, leave none of them alive. You can go and read that. That's a whole story in itself. They didn't do what God told them to do. God tells them that he is delivering them into their hand so they can be judged. Now, generations later, Israel has become as those that he had already judged. A lot of people have trouble with this concept whenever they read Scripture. If he's a God of love, God of mercy, God of grace, which he is, how could he do people like that? But here's the thing. Whenever you look at it, he was not putting evil on someone and ignoring someone else. He was judging each one equally. His expectation of judgment was upon all of them. It wasn't like God is cherry-picking, oh, the Canaanites are bad, but I, I really like the Israelites, so we'll take care of the Canaanites and move the Israelites in there. No, when the Israelites go down the same path that the Canaanites were on, God says, I'm going to judge you too. And that's something you should all, we should all consider in our lives is that God is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace, as we're going to see. But He's also a God of judgment. And He will judge. He is going to judge sin and sinners and the wicked and evil in this world. He will judge it. There is no escape from that. Me, you, and everyone else, there's no escape from that. So Israel has become those things that he's already determined that he will judge. And so he says to them, if, if you will not repent, if you don't change, 
I'm going to remove my protection from you and I will send the Assyrians to judge you. And they will take you away in captivity. They will burn your houses. They will destroy your families. They will kill your children. They will enslave you. And we see this picture in Isaiah over and over of God trying to get the attention of his people. And how God gets your attention, he does it in four ways. The first is his word. He's given his scripture, his word. Every one of them had the word. The word came through prophets, it came through preachers, it came through scrolls, it came through the things that God handed down through all of his relationship with Israel. So the first way God wants to get your attention is through his word, with his voice. The second is through prophets and preachers. And he says in Isaiah, he says, I sent them prophets they would not hear. They didn't hear it. They wouldn't hear them. They wouldn't hear me. The third way is through troubles. God will allow trouble on your life to get your attention. And any trouble that you have in your life, if it drives you to prayer and it drives you to seeking for God, that is good trouble. That's the best kind of trouble you can have because that is the trouble that will change your life and turn your life toward righteousness which God wants of you. The fourth way and the final way is judgment. Israel had ignored his word, his voice, his prophets, his preachers, all the troubles that he allowed in their lives up until this point till finally he says, what am I going to do with you? I've done everything that I can to create the place where you would follow me. I'm going to have to judge you. But here's the trouble with God's judgment. Not trouble for us, trouble for God. Is that while he is a God of judgment, he is a God of overwhelming grace. One of my favorite stories in scripture is the book of Jonah. The story of Jonah, if you've never read it, Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, and he's called to preach to them a message of repentance. But Jonah says, no, I'm not going to go. And all, most of us, if we've heard any Bible stories, we've heard this one in, in Sunday school or something, if you attended as a child. Jonah gets swallowed by a well. Eventually he repents, and he goes. It's a book of repentance, it really is. He goes to Nineveh. But you know what Jonah's issue was with God and his message to the, the Ninevites? I've heard it presented so many ways that Jonah was racist. He didn't like the Ninevites. But if you go and you read it, Jonah says, I'm not going to do that because I know what kind of God you are. And if I go and preach repentance to them and they repent, you won't judge them. You'll forgive them. Jonah had this thought in his mind that, that it was only for God's people, this God of grace and this God of mercy. The one true God was a God for his people, not for everyone else. And so Jonah said, no, I, I know what kind of God you are. You're a God of mercy and grace. And if I go preach to them, you'll change your mind. And that's what God is trying to relay to the Israelites throughout the book of Isaiah. Let's look at it. Isaiah 26 and 10 it says, let grace be shown to the wicked. Here's the problem with the wicked. Yet he will not learn righteousness. 
in the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly. He says, even if I make everything perfect, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Verse 18, Isaiah chapter 30. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. God is waiting so that he can be gracious. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. What is this saying? It's saying God continues to be gracious. God is giving adversity in the place of judgment. God is sending trouble your way because he's waiting. He really, really does not want to get to the place of judgment. He's waiting for anyone who will hear his call. Isaiah 30, 21, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. What is he saying? He's saying over and over, and my voice is coming out to you. I'm saying, change the direction you're going. Walk this way. Walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left hand, my voice, this is the way. Walk in it. Isaiah 30, 19, he invites them to call on him even. He says, it's not just that my voice is coming to you, but you have the opportunity. You can call on me. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And that's what I want to tell someone today. I, I don't know where your life is at. I don't know what I have learned in my short time in ministry is that I do not know what's going on in people's personal lives unless God speaks it to me. And then at that point, I will say, hey, God spoke this to me. And then you can tell me yeah or no. I don't know what's going on in people's personal lives. But I do know this, whatever might be going on, there is a God that is calling. And he's saying, you don't have to continue in your sin. You don't have to continue in your lostness. You don't have to continue in a wilderness. You don't have to continue down the path you're going on that leads to destruction. He is calling, he is calling, he is calling, and if that's not enough and you're not hearing a call from him, he says, I invite you that if you don't even hear my voice, you can call on me. You can pick up the phone and call me and I will hear you and I will respond to you. I'm not just going to leave you to judgment, but my grace and my mercy and my love will reach out to you and I will restore you. Isaiah goes on in, verse, in chapter 55, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon Look at how far God will go. He says, I'll create the perfect environment. I'll give you every opportunity, every blessing that you can have, and I will give you opportunity and chances to repent and turn back to me. I will call for you, and whenever you decide you want to, you can call for me. And if you will forsake your way and an unrighteous man his thoughts, then he can return to the Lord. It's never too late to call. It's never too late to return, and it's never too late to pick up when he's calling you. 
Psalm 50 and 15 kind of puts an emphasis and a point on it. It says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You might be in trouble. You might be lost. You might be thinking there's nothing that I can do because it's so bad. But I'm telling you, there is a Savior that is calling you. There is a God who you can call on. There is a God that will hear you. There is a God that will save you from your present trouble. There is a God that will save you from destruction. There is a God that will deliver you from judgment, His judgment. There is a God that will undo all of the things in your life and restore to you all the things that you felt like you have lost. That's the kind of God that He is. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, gives us this promise. says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Your wages for what does not satisfy. We have a problem in our culture where we're pursuing all of the things of pleasure that never satisfy Pursuing the things that just leave us void and empty, leaving us depressed, oppressed, unsatisfied, without joy, and no happiness in life. It robs from us all the pleasures of God that he has intended for us to have. He says, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Incline your ear. Hear me. Hear what I'm saying. Hear my call. Don't keep muting me. Don't keep sending it to the voicemail. Hear me. I'm here and I'm searching for you and I'm calling for you. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. That hiker lost in the wilderness spent a night searching for a car he could not find when he could have picked up the phone and called. He could have just answered one of the many phone calls that came to his phone. But he kept going lost and in a wilderness because he didn't recognize the caller and he felt like he didn't know who to call. But I'm telling someone today, God is calling for you and if you need him, you can call on him. He says, call me. You know who to call. You know who to turn to. You know who is with you. You just call on him. Don't be like that hiker. Don't be like the hiker. Call on God. Amen? Amen. I'm getting ready to end. Grace, if you don't mind, go let them know. I want someone to hear me today. God is a God of judgment. He will judge sin. But he's also a God of grace and mercy and love. And he is calling. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you feel like you are from God. It doesn't matter what's happened in recent events in your life. God's voice is ringing out. The devil would lie to you and he would tell you, that no, that, not, that call's not for you. You've already done too much. 
Judgment is waiting just outside the door. In any moment now, judgment's going to rush in. God's going to take care of you. But God has put judgment at bay. And right now, as long as there is a God, as long as there is hope for you, as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is opportunity to answer. There's opportunity to call. There's opportunity for God to do a work in your life. You don't have to be like that hiker. You don't have to be like Pharaoh who ignored all of the things God had brought to the Egyptians that would ultimately bring the Israelites out of Egypt, but God kept doing these things. In various places it says God hardened his heart. It also says he hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart toward God, and he would not recognize what God was trying to do. So much so that he was willing to spend one extra night with frogs jumping all over the city. When Moses said, we can take care of this right now. So much so that whenever it was clear that God was going to triumph, it was just one last thing that he was going to allow happen. All the firstborns would lose their lives. Judgment. Because he would just ignore what God was trying to do. God may be speaking to you through his word. He may be speaking to you through my preaching today. He may be speaking to you through troubles in your life. He's trying to get your attention. And any trouble, anything you go through, any uncomfortableness at the preached word of God, any conviction that you're brought under, that's great things because that is God bringing you toward righteousness. If you will hear him and you will respond. Don't keep muting God. Don't keep ignoring the call. Respond to him. And you'll, you'll find a God who is ready to give you what you came to drink from. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You have money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine, milk without money and without price. If you don't have anything, you don't have to bring anything to God. God is prepared for you. God is prepared for you. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. I feel. If you enjoyed today's sermon or have questions and would like to connect with Pastor Lane, you can find us on our website, branches.faith. Thanks for listening.